0: me to the book of Matthew, chapter 10, beginning at the first verse, Matthew chapter 10, and verse 1, it is good to be in God's house today, good to be in God's house today, I feel strength in the presence of God. Feel strength and rest in the presence of God today. It's the strangest thing. I slept good last night, probably too good, but woke up this morning and, and I had to have my wife drive to church. Sitting in my office for service, and even as I walked on the platform, my eyes I, my eyes were so heavy I couldn't keep them open. So I don't I don't like leading worship with my eyes closed all the time but I feel strength now is it spiritual is it physical well I probably should lay off the donuts and the pizza but I'm, I'm thankful that I feel rest and strength in the house of the Lord today Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1 when he had called unto him his 12 disciples He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter. And Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. And John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the Publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Levius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, He commands them, Heal the sick cleanse the lepers raise the dead cast out devils freely you have received freely give freely you have received freely give We're going to take it back a little old school today. And I don't know if I'll preach this the same today as I did the first time and the only other time I've ever preached this message. Time will tell. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Let's put our Bibles down and let's go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for all that you have done. God, I thank you for your strength. I thank you for the empowerment, the equipment of the Holy Ghost. God, I thank you for the power that we have through the infilling of your Spirit and the power and the revelation of your name. God, I pray, Lord, that your will would be done today in this place. God, I pray that your Spirit would move in a mighty way. God, we love you and we magnify you. We give you praise. We give you honor today for everything that you have done, for all that you are, for everything that you are going to do. And God, we give you praise because we know that your will is to draw each and every one of us closer to you today. God, I pray that we would speak to you so that you could speak to us. God, we want to draw closer to you today so you will draw closer To us, we desire to live and to dwell in your presence today. Why don't we give God a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated this morning. He loves me. He loves me not. It is the childhood game that occupied time on the playground during recess picking of a flower pulling off the petals. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Why would we correlate that little childhood game of well if the last flower is he loves me then then everything's going to be okay but if the last flower is he loves me not i'm just going to change the rules of the game and and say well then that means that he loves me he he does love me or she loves me and she really does love me not she loves me not because we live in this fantasy world where everything's got to be bright and rosy and pink all the time but why would we correlate this to, uh, to this, this chapter in Matthew? And, and, and really, it's because your pastor has a wild imagination. Uh, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. You're just going to have to trust me until we get there. You're going to have to trust me until we get there. We find in Matthew chapter 10 that Jesus had called unto himself 12 disciples. Now that word disciple, and this is going to shed some light on why we have discipleship classes. Are you ready? The word disciple means one who learns. Now Jesus called 12 disciples, but really every one of us are called to be disciples. Truly, God does not want any of us to to go through life not having the understanding of, of His Word to the best of our ability. And and let me just pause and tell you that uh, I I have seen children who could not read. I have seen children whose teachers said they have disabilities. They have learning disabilities. They're they're not going to learn like other children learn. They're not able to. Well, I just don't like being told that someone's not able to do something. And I uh, you know that's a child of God that you're talking about. That's that's a that's a, a, a son or a daughter of God. That's a a person that's made in the image of God. And I just have a hard time uh, hearing the the you can't. And I believe that the Holy Ghost lifts and and God's God's indwelling helps us to become men and women that He has designed for us to be. And so I I have seen young children who who literally could not. Hardly read at all. They struggled reading C. Spot Run, and and uh, their their pastor was uh, wise enough to to tell them, why don't you spend time? Why don't you spend time reading the Bible with them? And it was just a short time later that they were pulling out entire sentences out of the King James. And shocking the mind of scholars and shocking the mind of, of teachers. And I'm thankful for our teachers and I'm, I'm thankful for those who invest in our children to, to help them learn and to help them understand. But let me just tell you that any amount of wisdom that we have is, is not even e- e- uh, equal to the foolishness of God. In fact, the Bible tells us that the foolishness of God is used to confound the wise. They they cannot compute it because God sits so much higher and He he knows all and He is all and in Him is all. And so uh, every one of us are called to be disciples. Every one of us are called to learn. Every one of us ought to be involved in studying the Word of God. Every one of us ought to be involved in digging into the Word of God. I, I don't want to pastor a lot of uh, empty-headed people. I'm not throwing rocks. I'm not telling you that you got to go to university. I'm not telling you that you have to do this or that or, or join a certificate or a degree program. That's not what I'm saying. I understand that's not for everybody. And that that that's your walk with God. Your your trip to heaven is not predicated upon whether or not you have a degree. But what I am telling you is you better pick up the word of God and you had better learn how to study the word of God for yourself because we are living in a day and in an age Let me just tell you something, I walked onto a college campus as an 18 year old young man and everything I ever believed was, was, was approached and everything that I had ever believed was attacked. And that was in a landscape design program. I can't imagine going to school for philosophy or something along those lines because everything on that campus was geared toward humanism. Everything on that campus was geared toward you can be your own God. And let me just tell you, I am not equipped and neither are you to be your own God. And if you don't have a rock solid foundation as far as what you believe and why you believe it. We don't believe this just because this is what pastor preaches. I'm going to ride this bunny trail for a moment. We don't just believe this because this is what the dogma of the apostolic Pentecostal world says. We don't just preach this way because of an organization or a fellowship. We preach this way because thus saith the Lord. And we know where it's at in the word of God. And young person, you better get it deep into your spirit. The first thing he did before he ever called them to preach was he called them to learn. First thing he did was called them to learn come and be my disciples but Jesus I got this fishing business ah that fishing business is nothing compared to what I want to take you to I don't don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying God calls people to be business owners he does sister Lydia seller of purple used her business to fund the kingdom of God. So on and so forth. You you, you, you don't have time to argue that. We're not going to argue that. You shouldn't argue that. God calls people. And that's an area of ministry. And that's of no less importance than standing behind the pulpit and sharing the word of God. Because what it does is it empowers... The five-fold ministry. But whatever area of ministry in which you are called, he's called you to be a learner. Take my yoke upon you. Come and learn of me. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. The first thing he ever did was he called them to learn. Come and be my disciples. And He gave them power against unclean spirits. He gave them, that word power refers to unrestricted authority. He gave them authority to walk in His own power. He gave them authority to be the extensions of who He is. When you walk into your workplace, you can walk in as an extension of my ministry. Because I am an extension of His ministry. And so therefore, when you walk in to your workplace and you walk in filled with the Holy Ghost, or you walk into your school filled with the Holy Ghost, you're walking in as an extension of your pastor and as an extension of Jesus Christ. He said, and I want you to experience everything that you're going to see me do. He called 12 disciples, 12 learners, Simon, whose surname was Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother and business partner, James and John the two sons of Zebedee. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. They were also business partners with Peter and Andrew. We're not doing an expository look at the twelve disciples today, but maybe we should. Uh, uh, then we find Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas, who was called the doubter. You can research Thomas's earthly ministry after Jesus' resurrection and ascension on your own. And you can find that it had a massive impact in the country of India. And uh uh we find Matthew, the publican, or the tax collector. He was a real popular fellow. Not at all. He was in cahoots with the Romans. The publican tax collector. James, the son of Alpheus, Lebeus, uh, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite. Now, why would he call him Simon the Canaanite? Well, because that word Canaanite uh is also used to describe a zealot. He was Simon the The zealot. He was a political activist. So you've got Matthew who is in cahoots with the Romans. And you got Simon the zealot who hated the Romans. And Jesus said, Hey, come and follow me. We got both sides of the political aisle. This will be fun. And Simon the Zealot hated the Romans. He was looking for an opportunity to overthrow Rome politically. And you've got Matthew who was profiting off of the Roman occupation. And then we have Judas Iscariot. Who Matthew, in his record, said he's the one who betrayed him. These men who saw Jesus as he was manifest on the earth in this portion of Scripture were called disciples. But soon... After this commission, they would be called apostles. And they were called apostles as they were sent out. Because the word apostle means one who is sent on a mission. One who is commissioned by another. And so here we find the first reference to the apostolic mandate. You go and you preach the gospel. You go and you preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. An apostle is primarily a missionary. It is a word that comes from the Latin word for apostles. And he said, you go and you preach. You go and you become a herald. You go and you begin to proclaim. When I walk into my workplace, my lifestyle is preaching the word of God. My how I react, how I respond, how I talk, how I live, how I work, is proclaiming a message. He commanded them, you go and you preach. It is to be a herald, to proclaim, to preach, or to announce a message publicly, and with conviction, with persuasion. Another source says that this word for preach, which is ironically uh, pronounced uh refers to preaching the gospel as with authority. It is preaching the gospel as the authoritative binding word. It brings eternal accountability to all who hear the word. To be a preacher is also defined as preaching by a herald sent from God. And so the twelve disciples turned twelve apostles uh, were preachers who were called by God. And among the twelve, eleven of whom were Galileans. He told them, you go and you preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I'm laying a foundation still this morning and this is important, so please don't check out on me. He said at first, the gospel is going to be preached only to the Jews. We can read this account in Romans chapter uh, 1 and verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, you're going to go. And he commanded his apostles, his 12 disciples turned apostles, to go and preach to the Jewish nation. And then after the Jews as a whole rejected the gospel of Christ, he commanded that the gospel be carried to all nations. And he says, when you go into these cities to preach, you preach to them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the gospel, according to Matthew, uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven 33 times. It uses the phrase the kingdom of God an additional five Times He said, I want you to let them know that the Messiah is here. Simon, the zealot, you go and let them know. You go to all of your underworld friends. Simon, I want you to go into all those shady places, into all of those back rooms where they're speaking of revolution. Where they're speaking and they're they're conniving and they're they're trying they're thinking they're doing the will of God and they're trying to usher in a new world order and they're trying to overthrow the Romans and they're trying to gain Israel's independence. He said, I want you to go in and I want you to tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now imagine what that message did to Simon the Zealot. Oh, yeah, it's time, baby. He starts putting together his (laughs) AR-15. I'm ready, baby. Let's go. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you got Peter, the Galilean, with his sword strapped to his side. I'm ready to go preach. And Jesus paused them. He says before they go, he said, oh, but, but let me tell you something. There's a catch. I don't want you taking any money with you. I don't want you to take a change of clothes with you. I don't want you to take a change of shoes with you. I don't want you to take your cell phones. I don't want to take your your Facebook or Instagram accounts. Uh, You're not going out there uh, under your own guise. But I want you to go out and I want you to see God work the miraculous uh, not only through you but for you. And I want you to preach everywhere that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the Messiah is here. You're going to go get a taste. Uh, he said, I want you to preach to them. You're going to get a taste of fellowship with him right now. Messiah is here. Here and then at Pentecost, you'll get a further taste of heaven, which will ultimately lead to the ruling and reigning with him in the earth. He said, I want you to preach to them that the kingdom of heaven is both coming in the future, but it's also here right now. That's the message that he commissioned them to preach. Tell them if they want to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness, it's time to get on board right Now, this is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. It's time to get on board. And it's time to do it today. Today is the day of salvation and now the acceptable time. He said, you tell them if they want to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness, they don't have time to wait. It's time to get on board. And you've got to do that right now. He said, and as you're going, the Spirit of God is going to confirm the Word that you're preaching by healing the sick. Cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out devils freely. You have received freely given. You're not going out there on a, on a, a capital gains mission. You're not going out there saying, Hey, if you give me 50 bucks, I'll heal your body. No, he said it, it was given to you freely and it freely is going to flow through you. God's going to provide. He's going to provide through himself. He's going to provide through those around you. And that's fine. But you're not selling a bill of goods. You're not selling a bill of goods. You're working the kingdom of God. And he's saying, "Ah, I have empowered you to do this. I'm preaching today about the message that was given to them because it's important to understand that what they all heard, they heard together. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, so on and so forth. Simon and Judas, they all heard it. Of all the disciples, eleven were Galilean except for Judas. There's something peculiar about Galilean. Even Nazareth. City in which Jesus Jesus was raised was a small village of Galilee. Could these 12, could these 11, plus Jesus, which would have been 12, have they known each other? I don't know. Did they go to school together? I don't know. Fact is that all of them were from Galilee except for Judas. There is something peculiar about Galileans. Matthew 26. We find Jesus is on trial. Verses 72 and 73. Jesus is on trial. Standing at the house of the high priest. They have a fire going, probably several. We find John is inside where the trial is taking place. But Peter is standing out amongst the crowd and they ask him things and and, and no I, i'm not i'm not a follower i' I'm, I'm not one of his i don't i don't even know the man yeah yeah you do in verse 72 and again he denied with an oath saying i do not know the man and he's cussing I swear peter yeah Cussing Fisher. And after a while, they came to him, came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for your speech betrayeth thee. There's something different about the way you talk. You see, the thing that was peculiar about the speech of the Galileans, One commentator said to the men of Judea, who were exact in their language, their law is established in their hands. To the men of Galilee who were not exact in their language, their law is not established in their hands. They, the men of Judea, were exact in their language so that their speech was pure, not corrupt. They spoke a more pure dialect of the Hebrew language than the Galileans did. The Galileans quite simply were not so concerned about being proper. Judeans were proper in their speech. They were pure in their speech and so they were concerned about being proper and they were so concerned about being proper that they missed being right. They were so concerned about having everything put together that they missed being right. And so imagine pious Judas being thrust into the midst of these Galileans. He's the CPA of Jesus on Earth Enterprise. The CFO. Chief Financial Officer. He's got the money bag. And he's so concerned about his proper speech that it bleeds over. I'm not saying we ought to be cussing fishermen. Let me just tell you, Chris, Peter was cussing before he got the Holy Ghost. After he got the Holy Ghost. And that's one reason why when the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel heard what was going on, they said, these are ignorant and unlearned men. They did not speak like highly educated people. It didn't mean that they were dumb. It didn't mean that they were literally ignorant. It meant that they just they hadn't had any formal schooling. And the rest of the country was concerned about formal schooling. Judas was concerned about formal schooling, but his concern about formal schooling made him lose out with God. So he's thrust into this group of Galileans. It's bled over into the rest of his life so that when when the prostitute comes in and Jesus casts seven devils out of her and many scholars believe that later on after the three years of Jesus' ministry here she comes with her box of alabaster and she breaks this box of perfume and she anoints him with it and he said wow 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 don't you know that what we could do with that money so concerned about Right. And sometimes faith doesn't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't compute. Sometimes my analysis doesn't line up with the Word of God. I get so concerned about making sure that my spreadsheets line up. I'll never jump out in faith were moments I can imagine Jesus looking at Judas as Judas and Simon the Zealot many scholars believe that the order in which they were listed in the book of Matthew or the order that he sent them out two by two to go do the work of ministry which means that many believe that he sent Peter and Andrew together as brothers and business partners they were were, uh, a good team and James and John may have gone together and that would put Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot going out together. You got a hair trigger zealot who's a Galilean and Judas who's got to have everything right. He's the pious. In that moment, Jesus says, He's going to preach. He loves He's going to do my work. He loves me. He's taking good care of the finances. He loves me. Oh, but he's upset because this one has anointed me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I came to tell us today that Judas received the same commission. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Simon the son of Alphaeus, Matthew. Same commission. He loves me. He loves me not. Mark chapter three is Mark's record of the same occurrence as our opening text. The verse 9 gives us a, a bit different context and perception. A perspective. He spake to His disciples that a small ship should wait on Him because of the multitude lest they should throng Him. For He had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon Him for to touch Him. As many as had plagues and unclean spirits when they saw Him they fell down before Him and they cried saying, the son of God. Devils are preaching. He really is who he says he is. He's not just the Son of Man, he's the Son of God. They straightly charged him that they should not make him know. He said, Hey, it's not my time. They don't need to know all that right now. Judas heard them proclaiming, He loves me he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would and they came to him and he ordained twelve the the original language literally means to make to do he ordained he made them to do he equipped them that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to And to have power to heal sickness. And to cast out devils. He called the apostles to separate themselves from the crowd. And in that moment when Judas recognizes the call of Jesus, he loves me. They came to him and now he gives them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. You see folks, today Judas had been called out from the crowd. He had been ordained by Jesus that he might be sent to preach and to have power to heal, to cast out devils. He followed Jesus for more than three years and he had to have been in it for more than just the miracles and the signs and the wonders. You don't just stick around because you're, you're watching it burn to the ground. It wasn't burning to the ground. There was something about it that got a hold of Mr. Judas Iscariot. He responds to the call. He loves me. Separates himself. He loves me. He's not happy about the alabaster box. He loves me not. He's not, yeah, he's getting a little frustrated with the roughness of the speech. He loves me not. He's not real comfortable around the people that Jesus was comfortable around. Everything's got to be proper. Why? Why are you eating with them? Jesus wasn't stooping to their level. Sitting with them to bring them up, to bring them out. He loves me. He loves me not. John chapter 12 says that Judas was the treasurer. But I believe today that he had to have been in it for more than just holding the bag. At some level, at some point, he had to have loved Jesus. But the fact is that just saying the words is not enough. John 14 and verse 15 and then verse 21. If you love me, keep my commandments commandments is proof that you love him it's of so much importance that verse 21 reiterates the same point he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and i will love him and will manifest myself to him. There's a double emphasis placed upon the fact that if you love Him, you'll keep His commandments. And you cannot love Him when, and keep Him at arm's length. You can't love Him from a distance. That's not love. You can't love Him, but say Jesus, there's a boundary here and I, I just can't do it. No, you, at that point, you like Him, but you don't love Him. can't love him at arm's length. If you love him, you'll love everything about him. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but that means that there's going to be something in your spirit that says it's worth every bit of sacrifice to my flesh. It's worth the sacrifice to my carnal nature. It's worth the sacrifice to my sinful man. There's enough there. I want everything that he's got. If you love him, you'll allow him to lay the ground rules in your life. If you love him, you'll allow him to not just be your savior, but to also be your master. If you love him, you'll let him be your Lord. I wonder how many times Jesus has sat upon the throne of heaven and examined my life and said he loves me, but he loves me not. He loves me enough to go this far, but he doesn't love me enough to go the whole distance. He loves me enough to give up some things. He loves me enough to have some level of consecration. But what I wouldn't give to rip the flower up and say he loves me with everything thing that he's got. He loves me. He doesn't love me enough. He loves me enough to follow me for three years. But He doesn't love me enough to overlook the seeming impropriety of letting a woman formerly of ill repute. But Jesus had cast out seven devils. And Judas viewed her level of commitment. He said, no, 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 that doesn't. That's too far. I mean, her life saving? Not understanding, he saved her life. It wasn't something that Jesus had asked of her, but it was something that, hello, that she freely gave. Jesus had been preaching about the Passover. He'd been preaching about his body, and his blood, and revealing the need to be completely committed to living for Him. In John chapter 6. We find that He's not not preaching this to just the twelve. But there are many followers. And in John chapter 6 and verse 60, many therefore of His disciples, many that were coming to learn, when they heard the level of commitment that Jesus was asking. They said, this is in hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can do that? I just don't know if I'm that committed. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. From that time, many of His disciples went back, verse 66, and walked No more with Him. You see, there comes a point in the life of every individual where we must determine to allow God complete access. When the Word of God is preached... And sometimes it uplifts me and sometimes it elevates my faith and sometimes I feel like I could charge hell with a water pistol and a box car with a BB gun with absolute certainty, I'm going to have victory. And there are some times uh, that that, that's the way that living for God feels. But there are other times when the word of God is preached uh, and it starts hitting marks in my life and it starts pushing buttons and it starts stepping on toes and it it starts making me squirm uh, that I've got a choice to make. Will I allow myself to be exposed to the word of God will I allow myself to give God access or will I close down will I shut myself up and will God have to say well I thought she loved me she loves me not how much How far are you willing to allow Him to come in? For the sake of time, we're going to skip to Matthew 26, verse 47. While He yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, they they're in the garden of Gethsemane, With Him, a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Verse 49, and forthwith He came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. There wasn't one time where the words would have flowed so easily off His lips. At one time there was such a commitment there. Where Judas, that pious Judas, would have said, Jesus, you are my master. When exposed to true commitment, and I mean complete commitment, that woman that came and washed his feet with her tears and anointed him with perfume and and dried his feet with her hair, and humbled herself before him. What she was doing was she was anointing his body for burial, and Judas couldn't wrap his mind around that. But she didn't really know what she was doing other than she was there to worship him, and he was worth everything that she had. And I've come to preach to us today that in that moment, Judas, when he when he saw his neighbor's commitment, he said, I just don't know if I can do that. I just don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's kosher. I don't know if that's really a, a, a proper. And there was something inside of him where he allowed himself. You studied on your own. You can be a disciple of the Word and studied on your own and find that it was not until the Passover then Satan entered into Judas. Jesus looked at Judas and He said, whatever you're going to do, you go do it quickly. Judas walks into that garden. Hail, Master. And he's so comfortable. He gets close. Wow. Kisses him. The cheek. Wasn't weird. It's was a Hebrew greeting. At this point, Jesus said unto him, Friend! Why are you here? There was such a level of commitment at some point that Judas called Jesus' master and Jesus called Judas' friend. He said, Why are you here? Do you even know? Loves me. Esther. Judas, why are you here? Loves me not. They come and they arrest Jesus. They drag him to the house of Caiaphas. They, it's a kangaroo court. There's, we know the story well. Judas sees what's going on. They drag Jesus to, to the Roman uh, governor. Pilate bounces him around. He said, "No, send him over there. I don't, I, I don't want to get involved." Judas sees the handwriting on the wall, and and he grabs the bag of thirty pieces of silver and he runs back to the high priest. He said, "No, I messed up. He loves me. I made a mistake. Please." He said, "No, you take the money." He said, "No, I don't want it." He throws it at their feet, and at the end. The thirty pieces of silver was the price of a slave. Back and forth, loves me, loves me not, loves me, he loves me not, and there was such a level of love there. There was certain a level of commitment there, but there was such a level of hopelessness. Loved him, but he hadn't allowed him to enter into the deepest parts of his heart, his life, and he thought that it was a hopeless thought this was the end, but he had been so close and yet so far, he had been so close that he saw the miracles, he had been so close that he preached the message, he had been so close that he healed the sick, he had been so close that he healed the diseases, he had been so close that when he laid hands on them elder, he felt the power of God usher through him into their body, he had preached the word. Yet the word hadn't gotten so deep into him where he understood that in three days, in three days, he's going to rise again and I'm going to have another chance to talk to him. But in his hopelessness, he runs out and hangs himself. Loves me. Loves me not. As we stand this morning, I'm asking, how deep does our love for him go? How deep does our commitment to Him go? Does our love for Him only go so far as the miracle signs and wonders? Or does it go so far as it doesn't matter what He asks of me? I'll give it. I'll give it willingly. Not sparingly. I'll give it cheerfully. I'm not reaching for your wallets today. I'm reaching for your spirit. God wants to use you. God wants to work in your life. God wants to redeem. God wants you to have an understanding of His grace. He wants you to have an understanding of His mercy. Judas had remorse. It's proof that he loved Jesus but it was too late love his level of love for the master wasn't enough to keep him from hell fine later in the the gospels peter denying him we read it When Jesus arises and he speaks to Mary Magdalene in the garden outside the tomb, he said, You go tell my disciples and Peter, don't forget to tell Peter, he's probably not with the others. He's probably still out sulking. He's probably still out crying. He's probably still grieving and in remorse. But you'll find Peter. Tell Peter what you've seen. I believe with every fiber of my being that if Judas had not reacted the way that he did, If Judas had not taken his own life the words of Jesus would have been you go tell my disciples and you go find Peter and you go find Judas. I called him to be a preacher. Go find Judas. He loved me. God's reaching for that love today. He's reaching for that love this morning. He wants to pull it out. He wants to match it and overpass it. He wants you to experience his presence living inside of you. Rivers of living water. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that would say, I want to make my way to this altar and I want the love of God in my life to grow I want my love for God to grow I want everything that he has for me I don't want him to have to question whether or not I love him every day of my life I want to get closer to him I'm not perfect but I want to grow I want to grow I want God to work in my life I want God to work in my home and in my family I want him to move in my heart I want him to move in my mind So let our praise be empty space come by